those prayers will be answered. So we continue to pray. And sometimes we get a big splashdown, don't we? And God does a supernatural thing in time because he continues to stimulate and encourage us to keep on seeking, keep on seeking. We come alive. Jesus called us to life. And then we just do what Jesus tells us. That's kind of true in every one of these signs. Jesus will speak something, and we're to follow hard after that, to do what he tells us to do. Invest in others. Time, talent, and treasure. Don't defer your hope. I want to read this to you. Out of, I, I speak this. In, in fact, I'm doing a funeral this afternoon at 3 o'clock, and I'll read this passage at the graveside. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them. In the clouds, to meet the Lord, in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Man, that's some great encouragement right there. We're going to be caught up. We're going to be caught up with Jesus. Paul says in Philippians, he says, you know, I had a lot of stuff I used to value. I put a lot of stuff, a lot of energy in things that I've realized are not that valuable. He said, this one thing I do, I'm pressing on. Man, I want to know Jesus. I want to know the righteousness of faith. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And he kept pressing. And then he says something really unusual. He says, you know, this is really, this is, this is a paraphrase. This is really the normal Christian attitude to hold, to press into Christ Jesus, to know more and more of him, to know his resurrection power. It can be known. He wants us to know it. He wants us to believe. He wants us to believe. Ninety-nine times, John writes, believe, believe. Jesus said, did I tell you, if you'll believe, you'll see incredible things. All to the glory of God, and it will all benefit us. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you, God. We thank you for who you are, for revealing yourself to us, calling us to life. Father, I pray today these words, God, these words of yours, Lord, your word. God, make it life. Make it breath. Breathe upon us. Energize us. Give us stamina. God, let that hope become more and more abundant in our hearts as we pursue the Lord Jesus, just as you have pursued us in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we give you thanks for that now. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You don't have a text? You can open up Ezekiel 37 and pretty much wing it. Them bones, them bones, them dry bones. Hear the word of the Lord. I'm glad to be with you today. I have. I've already made several mistakes, and Bill's covered for him, and Brady's, hey, hey, hey. And uh, so all the important pastoral staff are gone this weekend, and uh, Brady and I are, are performing on amateur hour. So you're better with us. God's Word is living and active, sharper than two-edged sword. It'll accomplish what he encourages for us to receive. So today we're winding down this study that was begun weeks ago about the signs in the Gospel of John. And so as we do that today, I I just wanted to share a little bit of background about that. Uh, For about five decades, within within the last five decades, especially the last four decades, I've I've read the Bible over and over and over. And the Gospel of John is really 
My favorite gospel, I like the synoptics. There are some passages in the synoptics that really catch my attention and draw me in. Uh, but John, really the whole thing just captures me. And as I've read through that over the years, I've, I've seen this, it became really obvious that uh, the gospel of John is all that we might believe, that John recorded these things, the things that he recorded, signs and sayings and the interactions, the narratives, the dialogues that Jesus had. He recorded these things in order that we might know that he is the Christ and believing that, that we might have life in his name. So God is really about wanting us to believe. He so desires it. He's gone to great lengths in order that we might believe. So as I've continued to read through the Gospel of John, I found this that subsumed under that heading of believe, that word or form of that word is found 99 times in 21 chapters. So you kind of get the idea, hey, I think he's talking about faith. He's talking about believing, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and the way that he encourages the believer are really three that I can see that are main. One of those is that Jesus comes along and he makes himself equal to God. In this way, he says things such as, I am. And in this case, he's going to say, to a group of people gathered in a graveyard, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the light of the world. He says, I am the good shepherd. I'm the door of the sheep. He says a lot of things. He says seven times and then some unmodified times. Sometimes he simply says, I am. What's that remind you? Sounds like Exodus chapter 3, doesn't it? Where Moses is called of God to go and deliver the children of Israel. And when he sees this bush burning and he steps aside and waits, God begins to speak to him. And Moses says, you know, I've been out here 40 years tending sheep. I, I don't have a lot of wisdom. I'm not a personal, you know, I'm, I'm not an extrovert. What am I going to do? Who am I going to say sent me? And God simply says, tell them that I am who I am sent you. And God in Christ Jesus comes and he says the same thing in all the places where he goes. He says, I am. And the people of Israel understand. They're people that have been taught. They, they've memorized. Probably many of the people of Israel memorized the first five books of the Bible. And all the religious leaders knew that when Jesus said, I am, he was saying something that they didn't think should be said. He was equating himself with God. He was saying he was the covenant God of Israel. And he continued to say that. And then Jesus performs seven signs. We've already looked at six of those. Today we look at this seventh one, really culminating in this final one. And Jesus, he commends himself to the people's faith by raising the dead, by giving sight to the blind, by raising up cripples, by turning water into wine. He does all these signs that we might believe. And he even says, if you won't believe me for what I say, believe me for the works that I do. God is all about us believing. He wants us to believe. And so we come to this passage today. Where Jesus is going to do something that's just, if we didn't know that it was true, we'd say, that's incredible. That can't happen. But it has happened. It's historic. It's factual. It's reinforced by the histories that have been written in the Bible. And we know by the Holy Spirit that what Jesus has said is true. And we come to reflect on that. But there's one other thing that Jesus did that's really unique. He says, and you can read about this especially in the fifth chapter of John, starting in verse 18. But there are several places in the Gospel of John where Jesus will say something similar to this. I never do anything that I don't see my father doing, and I never speak a word that I've not heard him speak. Jesus is totally submitted to the initiative of his father. He is the perfect Adam. He's the one that came to fulfill all things. He did everything just as it should have been done in Eden and wasn't done. He did everything just as we should do it, and we haven't done it. But he did it in order to take our place. And now he's coming, and he's going to do a miniature apocalyptical revelation. He's going to show what it is to see the resurrection in the life of a good friend of his, Lazarus. So there are two aims as we begin to look at this scripture. 
One is, and you'll see this over and over in Scripture, but you see it two times, especially in this chapter. Jesus said that all that he does is to glorify the Father. Everything that Jesus is about is to glorify the Father and to bring us into a relationship of faith. Those two things, to benefit us with faith and to glorify the Father. So as we uh, start today, let's look at chapter 11. If you'll open your Bible to that, and we'll hear what God has to say to us. Before I do that, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that uh, you watch over it to perform it. We thank you, Lord, that it comes down like the rain and snow from heaven, and it will accomplish all that you intend. It'll bring forth fruitfulness. We thank you, Father God, that your word is like a hammer that breaks the rock. Break our hard hearts, God. Break those things in our heart that need broken. And it's a fire. God, sanctify us. Burn us with your love. Separate us to yourself. Father, your word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides our soul and our spirit. It sanctifies and washes us. It transforms us, God. It is truth. And so, Lord, we ask you to come. Fill the time and space we have. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We want to entertain your presence and humility and openness. Come invade our thoughts. Take them captive. All of our desires, our passions, govern them. Glorify the name of the Father and the Son. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. So let me read this chapter with you. Kind of not the whole chapter, but pretty close. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. That's, that's uh, interesting, isn't it? Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That's extremely interesting, isn't it? Because he loves these people. But in all likelihood, the message that he got about Lazarus being ill, by the time that he received it, Lazarus was already dead. Jesus was probably anywhere from 20 to 50 miles. He was on the east side of the Jordan when he received this message. So 20 to 50 miles away, it's very difficult to get somewhere in sandals on a dirt road quickly. And so he knew that Lazarus was probably dead, but still he stayed two more days, which is very interesting to think about that. People that he loved. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. We always want to be with Jesus. We want to walk in the light of who he is. That may mean that we go into some dark places. But we don't have to lose faith like Thomas, who said, all right, let's go die with him. You ever, you ever kind of get in a position like that? Let's, let's just, you know... This is just killing me. It's going to kill me. I'm going to die. And so my favorite thinking and phraseology is, I think I'll go in the garden and eat worms. 
just get really downcast, think there's just no hope, you know. But God's all about hope. In fact, this, this chapter is really a chapter that's really about the hope of the world, the hope of the world. And so even though we may be going through some things right now, you think, even though we may have prayed and it seems like there's no answer forthcoming, a delay is not a denial. God's not denying our prayers. If we're praying according to the revelation that's in this book, we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know that we're going to receive what we've asked for. That's an amazing promise, isn't it? Just a, just a transformative way of thinking that Jesus is true. So in verse 17, he goes on. It says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Just a note there, you know, you've probably heard this before. You've been, if you're a Presbyterian, you've heard it all. You know what I mean? You've heard all the word of God. You've heard Genesis to Revelation. It's been exposited to you, you know, over decades, maybe if you're old Presbyterian. How many old Presbyterians we got here? You know, I'm kind of a, I'm not an old Presbyterian, but I'm an old guy. I've only been a Presbyterian for about four and a half years. But he'd been in the tomb for four days. The Jews had a tradition somewhere that came up in the rabbinical teachings between the Old and the New Testament that for three days a person's spirit would hover over the body. See if it come back in. The fourth day, all hope was gone. Lazarus has been four, dead four days. A spirit has certainly, even by tradition, the spirit has departed. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. You know, when you read through the book of Acts, you find out that the, really the anchor, the pivot point, the foundation of all the apostolic preaching was the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's what fueled them getting up and going into the next village after they'd been thrown off a roof and left for dead. It's what got them up and going when it was cold, when their bodies were weary. Jesus Christ has been risen from the dead. They had a hope that could not be disturbed. That's where God wants our hope to rest. People put their hope in a lot of different things, don't they? Some people have their hope in the stock market. Well, what if you live during a time? You know, one of my investment counselors, and I don't have many because I don't have much to invest. One of my investment counselors told me, though, he said, you know, you can invest in the stock market. It's only been down... Seven days, and I mean seven periods, and 85 years or whatever. The problem with that is, one of these days I'm going to die, and whatever I got in the stock market is not going to help me. You know? People put their hope in a lot of different things. The Bible says this, a hope deferred makes your heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. God wants us to have a tree of life. He wants our hope to be solidly based in something that is unshakable. The kingdom of God and our possession of it, the hope that is fixed because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And it's not even Easter yet. Isn't that amazing? We live in the Easter day. We live in the resurrection hope. God wants us not to defer our hopes, not to transfer them. We're really good at that. We're really good at transferring our hopes to something else. And then we get disappointed and we have to remember, oh, but God wants us daily to remember 
to remember my hope is not in this age. It's not in, you know, something getting better. It's in something has gotten as good as it will get. Jesus Christ raised from the dead for my sake, representing me in the presence of the Father now. Now, this idea of resurrection is not new in the New Testament. It's shown and foreshadowed in the Old Testament. You know, in the Old Testament, you, you go to the, the book of First Kings and you got Elijah. And he raises this widow's son from the dead. And then his, his uh, mentee, Elisha, raises another widow's son from the dead. And then I really like this one in 2 Kings 13. Elisha had the man, he was the man with a double anointing. Well, he died and they buried him. Well, the Moabs, the Moabites used to come through and raid Israel kind of at will. They'd do whatever they wanted. They'd take the crops, take the livestock, you know, whatever they fancied. They'd destroy stuff. Well, one day they're marauding through and there's a funeral going on. They're trying to bury an Israelite and they see the Moabs coming over the horizon. They say, we've got to get this done quick. So they take the guy and they throw him in the tomb of Elisha. Boing, he's back out. He touches the bones. As soon as he touches the bones of Elisha, so much anointing is left on dead bones that he fulfills Ezekiel 37, even before Ezekiel's prophesied. He's back out of there. And then when we come to the New Testament, we have Jesus who raises the widow of Nain's son. They're already on the way to the funeral. They got the hearse there. They're mourning and the mother's crying and Jesus intercepts that. And he says, son, get up and go home. And this boy is raised from the dead and goes home to the joy of his mother. And then there's Jairus' daughter. And in the Scots Bible, which I don't happen to have a version of it, but I've read parts of it. The Scots Bible, Jesus comes into Jairus' bedroom and his daughter is dead there and everyone is mourning. And Jesus says this in the Scots Bible, Lassie Walker, little girl, wake up. And she wakes up. This is amazing, isn't it? Then we come a little bit further. We come to this reality of Lazarus. And after Lazarus, there's Jesus. And while he's dying on the cross and the curtain is ripped in two in Matthew chapter 27, it says that Old Testament saints rose up out of the graveyard and were walking around town. How'd you like that? Wow, isn't that something? Just at the death of Jesus, so much power is released. So much of the promise of the future resurrection is given that all these people are walking around. So when you drive down 27th or 34th this day, going east, see if anybody's getting up. And, and while you're there, they have two-for-one sale. You may have seen that on the fence. Buy one plot, get enough one free. Well, we don't really need a plot, do we? And then Jesus raises himself from the dead. No man takes my me i give it freely and i'll take it back and he does and that's why we're here we're here because jesus christ took his life back and now represents us in heaven but then we go to the book of acts and you got peter and he raises dorcas up this faithful saint of god that served the church and he raises her from the dead and then paul in acts chapter 20 he's kind of like me and he's preached too long you know he preaches and preaches and preaches and gets in the early morning and Eutychus a young guy just he didn't even want to go to church that night anyway he falls out the third story window breaks his neck Paul runs down there and raises him up and goes back to preaching I'm going man when's enough enough you know (laughs) but this this is something prior to Jesus was not new there but these all these others except maybe the Except maybe the Matthew 27 where these Old Testament saints come up. All these others are recitations. Jesus is really raised from the dead bodily, physically glorified. And so as we look at this passage of what, the, what he's doing here, he's giving a foretaste. You know, 
It's like the powers of the age to come where God sprinkles these answers to prayer on the path of our life so that we follow him. We see him working. We see his power, this resurrection life at work. And so we keep on following. So I want to just share a few things with you. What does this mean to us? What does it mean to us that Jesus is the resurrection and life? Well, these things are done that we might believe. God places a premium on faith. He wants us to believe. 99 times in John's gospel. One time he tells Thomas, when Thomas wasn't there, at the the first appearance of Jesus to the disciples in the upper room. And the disciples said, man, we saw him, Thomas, we saw him. He said, man, I can't. I can't believe that unless I see him. So Jesus makes an encore appearance. And he holds out his hand and said, oh, Thomas. Thomas, don't be unbelieving, but believe. Can you hear the commandment of Jesus? Believe, he says. I want you to believe. I want you to join with me. I want you to be part of who I am and what I've done. I want you to take my life. Don't be unbelieving anymore, but believe. And he pronounces that. So somewhere here, I'm going to go back to the text. Verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher's here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And so the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved, again came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around. They may believe that you sent me. When he had said this and these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Wow, that's an, isn't that an incredible story? And just think, just think of if Jesus had not identified who he's speaking to. Come out! Man, the whole graveyard would have rose up. But he specified. He called Lazarus to life. He still does something similar, doesn't he? He does something. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive together with Him and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places that in the coming ages He might show the incredible riches of His grace to us who believe. He's raised us from the dead. We were dead. We we had no concept of life in Christ or what, what life was about, really. We were pursuing all kinds of stuff. That's what happens when we begin to defer our hope. We begin to pursue the wrong things. And then there's a... A sadness, a heaviness that descends upon us. But God wants us to be believers. And so he goes to great lengths that we might believe. Think about this. One day when heaven was filled with these praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came down and was born of a virgin. 
lived among men. My example is he. Jesus came down, but he didn't stop there. He didn't just condescend to take on a form like us, which is an infinite reduction, an infinite reduction from creator to creature. But he went all the way to the grave. He so wants us to believe that he went all the way through everything that we deserve, came up on the other side and said, here, all that I've earned, all that I've accomplished, it's yours. Believe this and live. He is the resurrection and he is the life. He asked us to receive and he reinforces that. He went to incredible lengths to come and do that. So don't defer your hope. Reading this, we don't want to defer our hope. We don't want to put on something else. Oh, I want that better job. That's good. You know, we, we got some... We get some mid-grade hopes, but don't confuse them with the hope that God gives in Christ Jesus. Don't think that somehow they'll sustain you. They won't. They will not sustain. They weren't meant to sustain. Only the hope that's in the resurrection sustains. It's what propelled those apostles to preach through the book of Acts, through every difficulty. We have an empathetic Savior. He comes and he weeps at the side of that grave. Jesus wept because he loved Martha. He loved Mary. He loves Lazarus. He was sad, and he saw how sin had wrought this great destruction, that his friends would die. But he didn't just weep. He wasn't just empathetic in that way. He was angry. He snorted. The Greek word is like he snorted like a horse. He was angry at unbelief that had caused sin to come into creation and wrought this devastation. He was, it, isn't it right for a holy God to be angry with our unbelief? Well, certainly it is. Unbelief is a destroyer. He's angry at that, and he's undoing it. He's done doing it stepwise. One of these days, we're all going to hear that trumpet voice that Lazarus heard, and we're all going to be raised from the dead. Wicked and righteous alike. It won't matter what we died as. But we will hear that voice, a trumpet voice, and we will come up, and we will come before the great God of all creation who gave us life and breath and every good thing, and he'll call us to count for what we did with it. And he says, what I want you to do is to believe and be full of hope, and that's why I've done this. That's why I've done this. I don't want you to be a goat. I want you to be a sheep. That's why I've done this. So we see that. We see this tremendous empathy and this anger. We see it more than that. We see that Lazarus came out and he still was bound up. Jesus said, loose him and let him go. Where can that happen? I don't know about you. I've been a believer since March of 1973. I came out of jail before I believed. And when I began to believe, it was like a honeymoon period for quite a while. I can't even remember how long, but I remember that. I thought, boy, I, I must have lost about 25 pounds here. Where'd it go? You know? I was light. <clears throat> but then life kind of creeps back in, you know, and God wants you to grow up. He wants you to, you know, to quit being a baby. And, and I realized I, got some, I still got some issues in my life. In fact, I, I looked this morning, I still got some. I still got some issues in my life. I'm like, I heard an evangelist say once, and I think of it often, I made the terrible mistake of thinking my pride would die before I did. Man, I cannot believe how deep my pride goes, how it stains. Man, at any moment, it's ready to put its foot on my neck. I've got to be alert, and I've got to be coming to God for mercy. And the way that I get that, the way that that's reinforced is, Jesus said, loose him, let him go. People in the church, people with gifts and talents and abilities, they come around us and we come around them and we share what it is that God has given us and we're loosed and we're let go and we're not to be surprised by besetting sins and we're not to despair over besetting sins because I've found that I can get free from besetting sins. I've, I've been freed from besetting sins. I'm probably going to run into some more of them somewhere in the future. 
But I've been freed from besetting sins by the power of the life and the resurrection of Jesus in me by the Holy Spirit. God doesn't want us to despair over our sins. He wants us to bring those things and let people help unwrap those things from us so that we walk with more and more freedom. He wants us to make straight paths for ourselves so that those things that are out of joint can be healed. And that happens in the congregation of the upright. We're to invest in one another. When we see this, when we see Jesus raising people to life and he's speaking about being the resurrection and the life, he wants us to know I've given you, I've equipped you as my body to do this great work of bringing liberty to people. Happens in church. And he gives us time and he gives us talents and he gives us treasures. And he said, employ those, invest in those. One time I was at a conference with several people in a small church, a pastor, and there's about six or eight people. And we were all standing around and we were having an extended time of worship. And while we were worshiping, I was just caught up, you know, and how good, how gracious, how awesome God was. And, and I heard God speak to me. He said, invest in these people that are beside you. And I said, God, do you know these people? Because I did. And kind of, some of them were kind of like hugging a porcupine, you know what I mean? They had issues in their life that were unpleasant to be around. But that's what Jesus came to do, wasn't it? To free the captive. And the way that he does that is in the fellowship of the saints and the congregation of the upright as we employ who we are, as we invest in what's really eternal. And the stock market is not eternal. Money is not eternal. None of that stuff's eternal. But the righteousness of God and the life in Christ Jesus, that's eternal. That's what God wants us to invest in. That's why as a church, we're getting ready to extend our tent so that we can gather more people over the coming generations to know and to worship and to be found in Christ Jesus. And then they'll turn and they'll do the same thing for the next generation after that. So I want to be about these things. Don't grow weary. Don't grow weary in due season. We're going to reap if we don't lose heart. Martha and Mary prayed. They'd sent a messenger. They thought, oh, our prayers were in vain. But they weren't in vain. Our prayers are not in vain. God treasures them up in bowls of gold, angels holding them. We pray, we pray according to the will of God. We know when we pray this way, according to the will of God. Our answers may be delayed, but they're not denied. If we're praying according to those prayers, will be answered. So we continue to pray. And sometimes we get a big splashdown, don't we? And God does a supernatural thing in time because he continues to stimulate and encourage us to keep on seeking, keep on seeking. We come alive. Jesus called us to life. And then we just do what Jesus tells us. That's kind of true in every one of these signs. Jesus will speak something, and we're to follow hard after that, to do what he tells us to do. Invest in others. Time, talent, and treasure. Don't defer your hope. I want to read this to you. Out of, I, I speak this. In, in fact, I'm doing a funeral this afternoon at 3 o'clock, and I'll read this passage at the graveside. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Man, that's some great encouragement right there. We're going to be caught up. We're going to be caught up with Jesus. Paul says in Philippians, he says, you know, I had a lot of stuff I used to value. 
I put a lot of stuff, a lot of energy in things that I've realized are not that valuable. But he said, this one thing I do, I'm pressing on. Man, I want to know Jesus. I want to know the righteousness of faith. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And he kept pressing. And then he says something really unusual. He says, you know, this is really, this is, this is a paraphrase. This is really the normal Christian attitude to hold, to press into Christ Jesus, to know more and more of him, to know his resurrection power. It can be known. He wants us to know it. He wants us to believe. He wants us to believe. Ninety-nine times, John writes, believe, believe. Jesus said, did I tell you if you'll believe, you'll see incredible things. All of the glory of God, and it will all benefit us. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you, God. We thank you for who you are, for revealing yourself to us, calling us to life. Father, I pray today these words, God, these words of yours, Lord, your word. God, make it life. Make it breath. Breathe upon us. Energize us. Give us stamina. God, let that hope become more and more abundant in our hearts as we pursue the Lord Jesus, just as you have pursued us in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we give you thanks for that now. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.